going to be continuing our series called Live Like Jesus. And, and over the last several weeks, we've kind of looked at like one word descriptions of, of how Jesus lived and how he poured himself into others. And then how like we can begin to do that as, as well. And, and the word for today is the word protect. And I think that it's a really fitting word for today, not only because of the families that we saw up here on stage, and, and as we know, you know, part of our, our role as parents is to protect our children um, emotionally, physically, spiritually. It doesn't mean that we can protect them from everything that happens in this world. There's always going to be uh, difficult times. You know, just last Sunday, my, my daughter, Nora, six years old, um, she fell about eight feet, landed right on her shoulder, snapped her collarbone in half. Like, so if you see the little girl run around in a sling, uh, that's Nora. And the only surprise about this is that it didn't happen sooner, uh, to be <laughs> quite honest about that. And so like, we know that part of our job as parents is to protect our, our kids. And so it's fitting that today uh, we would be talking about protect. But it's also fitting because um, on October 28th, as a nation, we um, honor those who are our first responders. October 28th is National First Responders Day, and we get to celebrate the women and the men who, had de- who have dedicated their lives to protecting our community and responding when there is a need. And so over the last uh, few years, our country has set aside this day to recognize and show appreciation to these women and men who are the first to arrive when disaster strikes. They are the ones who are running to when everyone else is running from. They include firefighters and police officers, paramedics, EMTs, and and more. And we just want to take a moment in our service to recognize those of you who serve our community so well. And so if you serve in one of these roles as a first responder and you are comfortable doing so, would you please stand so that we can recognize and show you our appreciation? Yeah, that's kind of hard to see. Thank you so much. We are grateful for you and the sacrifices that you make uh, to keep us safe and to come to us in our time in our time of, of need. Uh, as our way of saying thank you, we have a, a, a gift card to our um, coffee shop, The Poor House, down on Kirkwood that we want to give you uh, just so you can go and enjoy some coffee and maybe a sandwich um, on us. So please stop by the Welcome Center, first responders, even if you didn't stand, it's okay. Stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. It's just out these main doors and, and to the left so that we can give you one of those one of those gift cards. So in in addition to our first responders, every day you are surrounded by things that have been specifically designed to protect you, that have been designed to to keep you safe. And and for those of us who are a little bit more accident prone, anybody raise their hand with me on that one? My daughter Nora gets it honestly from me. Those of us who are a little bit more accident prone, it's good that we have all of these safety measures in place. We have all these things that have been designed to, to protect us. And in fact, just think about your drive to church this morning. Hopefully one of the first things that you did when you got into your car was fasten your seatbelt. If you have kids, you put them in their car seat with you know, the five-point harness and you tighten that thing up just to the point of being able to breathe uh, so that they could be safe. 
If you're driving in, you know, a modern car, I read uh, just this last week that it could be equipped with up to 10 airbags. You know, most of us at least have one in the steering wheel on the side. And those airbags are created to deploy within 0.04 seconds at the point of impact. Think about that. Man, that is some incredible engineering that went in to keeping us safe. Depending on your vehicle, you have blind spot detectors. You have lane assist to warn you if you begin to drift. For those of us with, you know, older vehicles, we have rumble strips on the side of the road (laughs) to warn us. And so there are some really good things that, that are in our society, in our lives that have been designed to protect us. But then there are some things that kind of leave us scratching our heads. Like, was that really necessary? Like, like this sign right here, do not sit on fence. I'm not really sure that that sign's necessary. There seems to be some like inherent built-in consequences if you sit on that fence. This next one, caution. This sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. I don't know why you need to make a sign that says don't touch the edges of this sign. And, and I also think that maybe they should have highlighted just a little bit more the fine print. Also, the bridge is out ahead. <laughs> Like, you missed the lead there, uh, sign maker. (laughs) And we've got this one. Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. (laughs) The epitome of adding insult to injury. (laughs) You're dead, and we're still going to charge you $200 for it. So every day we are surrounded by things that are just designed to protect us, to keep us safe. Some are really good, they're valuable, they're important. Some of them are like those signs. And when all those protections break down, we have women and men that we celebrated earlier that, that come uh, to, our, to our rescue. And, and so clearly, like as a society, protection is something that's really important to us, whether it's because, you know, we want to keep ourselves safe or we want to avoid lawsuit. Uh, protection is very important. And, and in, in John chapter 17, As Jesus is praying for his disciples, he prays protection over them. He prays protection over them. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 17 this morning. John chapter 17. We'll have the words up on the screen as well if you want to follow along there. We're in week six of our series called Live Like Jesus. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about how we can live more like Jesus and we can help others do the same. And really what this is, it's a a series about discipleship. Uh, It's a series on discipleship that we started all the way back last fall when we went through a series called Four Chairs to talk about the different stages of discipleship that we kind of walk through in our development as a follower of Jesus. And then to help us know those who are coming along beside us in faith, what, what stage they're in and what their next step is. And then we continued it this past spring when we did a series called Walk Like Jesus, where we just kind of learned how Jesus lived and and what he practiced and those spiritual disciplines that he put into his life. And we're concluding this series by, by doing this series called Live Like Jesus, where we're just looking at how Jesus lived and acted, how he discipled others, and then how we can turn around and disciple others as well. And and a a very simple definition that we've been using for discipleship through this series is this. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus in attitude and actions. 
Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus in attitude and actions. In fact, just say that with me. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus in attitude and actions. That's it. And we try to overcomplicate it. We try to add things to it that it not necessarily ends. Is a lot of times we make the means to discipleship, the ends of discipleship. And so the means being Bible study and life group and you know Sunday school class. And we make those the end. And we say, if we just get to that point, then we have arrived at discipleship. No, those are tools that are means to the end of becoming more like Jesus in attitude and action. They're not the ends themselves. And so we try to complicate it. We, we, we try to make it something that it's not. But really, discipleship all comes down to being more like Jesus in attitude and in action. And here's the really cool part. When we help others do the same, then we become disciple makers. Like when we help other people become more like Jesus in attitude and actions, then all of a sudden we've become disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, every single one of us, we have been commissioned equipped. We've begun everything that we need in the Holy Spirit to go out and to make disciples. Our life and our faith, Jesus has, has given us, not just for ourselves, but so that we can bear fruit. And not just the fruits of the Spirit, more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, those things are good for us, but the fruit that Jesus prays for us is that we, that we multiply our faith out into the life and to the faith of, of others. That more people enter into the kingdom of heaven because of your life and your faith and your investment into them. But Jesus knows that as he's sending us out, you know, it's not out to just frolic in the fields. Jesus is sending us out to a battlefield. He knows it's not going to be easy. And so he prays for protection over his disciples and, and over us. Look at our text with me, John chapter 17 Starting in verse 11, this is what Jesus says. We kind of catch him mid-prayer here. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, meaning the disciples, are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them. And kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. And so Jesus says that he, in this prayer, that he was able to protect all of his disciples except for Judas who is in the process. Even while Jesus is praying this prayer, Judas is in the process of betraying him. And what we see here is John pulling back the curtain of this extremely intimate moment between the son and the father as Jesus knows that he is not just within the, the final weeks or days of his life. Jesus knows that he is within the final moments of his life. He knows that he's about to be betrayed and arrested. To, he's about ready to go through a sham of a trial, crucified as a criminal, and then go back to the father. And he's looking at these guys who have been following him for the last three, three and a half years. These, these guys that he's been pouring his life into and he's praying for their protection as he's about ready to hand over his ministry to them. 
fact, three times in these two verses, Jesus uses two variations of the word for protect. The, the first two times in verses 11 and 12, he uses a word that can also be translated as guard. It's, it's translated protect in our English NIV, but it's also in some other translations, um, it can be translated as, as guard. When he says in verse 12, I kept them safe, that's a word that's translated as protect in other places, but more often it's translated as keeping watch over, to keep watch over. And so Jesus prays, Father, continue to guard them by the power of your name as I guarded them and watched over them closely by the power of the name that you gave me. And that part about the name can be a little confusing to us, but it's important uh, in our text. See, many times in, in scripture, a name represents someone's character and nature. Uh, a name carries the weight of the authority with it. And so Jesus says, I protected and watched over them by your nature and your character and the authority of your name. That's a really powerful name, isn't it? Exodus chapter three, when God sends Moses to Egypt to confront Pharaoh to release the Israelites out of slavery, as, as, as Moses is having this back and forth dialogue with God, one of the things he says is, well, who, who am I going for? Like, who should I say is sending me? What is your name? And God's response was, I am who I am. I am. In other words, God's name is, what he goes by, what he is known for is his character. It's who he is. It's his character, his authority, his power, his reputation. And in Jesus, we see the nature of God demonstrated and revealed to us more fully. In fact, in the book of John, Jesus uses seven I am statements referring back to the name of God in Exodus 3. And each one helps us understand who God is and what he's like just a little bit more. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door, the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine. And the one that I think really helps us understand our text even more today is this final one. I am the good shepherd. And I think that all of this language that we read in John chapter 17, verse 11 and 12, it points to Jesus as our good shepherd. If you have a Bible open, flip with me uh, just a, a few chapters back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, we're introduced to Jesus as our good shepherd. And I think that there's a lot of parallels that we read in here that, that help us understand both, both passages and what Jesus is saying when he prays in John chapter 17 about guarding and watching over his disciples. Look at John chapter 10, verse seven with me. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. There is guarding and watching over language just soaked in this 
passage. The imagery that Jesus uses here is foreign to us, but, but I have a, a picture that I want to put up there on the, on the screens that show what an ancient sheep pen looked like. It, it's it's this, this enclosure, this big circle that's made up of rocks that stack between four to, to six feet tall so that the only way that somebody can get in is either by climbing over the rocks or by going through the gate. And so what would happen is that the shepherds would go out into the fields, they would gather their flock up at night, and they would herd them into this, this sheep pen through the gate. And then the shepherd would not say, all right, good luck, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Hope you're still here. <laughs> the shepherd actually goes and would lay down in the gate, creating a barrier that for anyone or anything to get into the sheep pen, they had to go through the shepherd first. And by taking that posture and position, the shepherd is able to guard and watch over his sheep. And in the same way, church, Jesus guards and watches over you. You see, the reality that scripture paints for us is that there is a war that is waging for our hearts, which is why Jesus prayed for our protection. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not physical. Our struggle is spiritual. We are engaged in a spiritual battle each and every day, and we're in need of protection. And Peter, one of the guys who heard Jesus' prayer here in, in John 17, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to cuddle with. That's not it. <laughs> looking for someone to devour. Man, and there are so many of us, myself included, listen to me, there are so many of us that the gate of our heart is wide open. There's no one, there is nothing standing guard and watching over the gates of our hearts. And we are letting anything and everything come in, no matter how dangerous it might be. So someone hurts you, betrays you, talks about you behind your back, and all of a sudden anger enters in through the gate of your heart and you're filled with bitterness and resentment. Maybe there's a deep, just consuming pain that you find that you can't heal from and it's causing you to lash out to others, even those that you love. Your neighbor gets a new car or truck or four-door Jeep Wrangler that's dark gray with a black hardtop shell and <laughs> dark rims with a slight lift kit on it. Hypothetically speaking, of course. <laughs> and all of a sudden you look at your car and it doesn't seem as nice anymore. <laughs> and jealousy walks right into your heart. And instead of being happy for your neighbors, you begin thinking about all the reasons why you deserve what they have. What started as a friendship at work turned into some flirtation. And all of a sudden, looking to her for what you used to only find in your wife. 
And now you've let this affair invade your heart and it's tearing your family apart. What used to be one drink to take the edge off of a hard day at work has led to hiding bottles in your office and throughout your house and you just hope that nobody finds them to reveal just how serious of a problem this has become for you. And alcohol dependency now consumes you and you shape your day around when you can take your next drink. You seem to be the one that all of your friends run to to share some juicy info because they know that you'll listen and entertain it and eat it up. And gossip walks right into your heart. And if you're honest with yourself, there are times where you wonder what they say about you behind your back. If they talk about you behind your back the way that they talk about others behind their back. And now you just don't feel safe being yourself around your friends anymore, afraid of what they might say. And some of you, and listen, I've been there. I've been there. The gate of your heart is wide open and you need Jesus to step in, to guard it, to watch over you, to protect you because Satan and the world around you are absolutely beating you up. Maybe that's why you're here today. You're here today just hoping that this, that this could be the place where you find rescue, that this could be the place that is safe where you could find healing and hope for your life. You've been giving in to any and every temptation and you are starting to pay the price. Your relationship is suffering. Your job is suffering. You are beginning to, to withdraw. You're beginning to isolate, which let me tell you is exactly where Satan wants you to be because when you are alone, you're most vulnerable and easy for an attack. But church, listen to me. Jesus wants to be your rescuer. And even if you don't think that you need rescuing, even if you're here today going, you know what, I think I'm good. Jesus can even rescue you from that attitude because all of us are in the same boat. None of us have it all together. None of us have it all figured out. We are all in need of a savior. We are all in need of a rescuer. He wants to be your shelter in the storm and protect your heart from Satan's schemes. If you're in a place right now and you're just wondering what in the world can I do? The answer comes down to this and it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And the answer is this, confession and repentance. That's it. It's confession and repentance. It may be the hardest thing that you've ever had to do. Swallow your pride to take that step. But I'm telling you, it's the only thing that will rid your heart of what has entered into it. To tell someone what's going on, to bring that darkness into the light and then begin the process of turning from it and seeking reconciliation for those that you've hurt. It's not easy, but it is the most effective way to heal your heart of what binds it and to begin to heal those relationships that have been damaged by sin. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, your next step is baptism. Baptism, where you, where you enter into this watery grave, where you die to your old self and you raise up to new life in Christ. 
And because God loves you, he has promised grace and forgiveness for you on the other side. He has promised a new life and a fresh start. And the reason why we can have this new life in Jesus is because Jesus is the one who laid his life down for you. Look at what he says in verse 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay my life down for my sheep. Jesus watches over and guards us when we turn to him or when we turn back to him. He knows us and we know him. There is this intimate relationship that he invites us into and he invites you into. And the ultimate protection that Jesus gives you is from the eternal consequences of your sin because as our good shepherd, he laid his life down for you. And so if you're here today and you feel like you've been wandering through life like a sheep without a shepherd, Jesus is inviting you to join the flock. Or maybe you have wandered far. He's inviting you to come back home. He's inviting you to find life and joy. One of the verses that we didn't get to in this, it's one of my favorites, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants your life to be the abundant life, not that's easy and you just skate through until you get to heaven. It's gonna be hard. There are gonna be times where you feel like giving up, but it is a life of lasting satisfaction and joy. It is a life where Jesus is at the, the gate of your heart guarding it because it belongs to him. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.